This is Rugger Matrix International, episode 206, England on the Brink, with your host Jurosin, Mark Cashman, and introducing Sean Berry. Hello and welcome to episode 206, and I am not going to mess around. Mark Cashman, welcome to the program again. Well, Bronk, copped a bit of stick last week on social media for my tie, so I've, I've frocked up tonight, uh, which is pretty good on Dalliem and, uh, and uh, Brownlow Metal Night. People can be so unkind, can't they? They can. They w- it wouldn't happen here, though, would it? The haters hate, don't no, they? they? do. Now, uh, Ben Kimber was so good last week, he's not here this week, <laughs> replaced by another... Uh, learned colleague from the journalistic world, the great Sean Berry. Sean, welcome to Rugger Matrix. Thanks, Jared. It's great to be here. It's, you've obviously spent the last 205 episodes building up the courage to invite yeah. me on. Um, yes. You haven't made a mistake. I'm looking forward to the oranges at halftime. Of course, uh, Sean uh, is uh, well known in the rugby world, uh, a former under-19s Australian representative. That's in right. What, 1998? 98. Reasonably well known to little well known, I'd say. <laughs> uh, yeah, Phil War from that team probably went on a bit more than I did, but yeah, that no, was. Oh, uh, you've got a lot more here than Phil War these days. I still claim a win over the All Blacks <laughs> to this day. <laughs> yeah, so the big dynamic flank. Every time he comes to the office at Channel Seven, I'm always saying uh, the dynamic flanker, and he certainly was uh, back in the late 90s. So we will look forward to your comments on some of the great flankers of the World Cup, but Sean colleague of mine at Channel 7, and you may have recognised him for the uh, dying stages of the commentary in Shoot Shield this year. Last couple of games, you were hosting it. Did you enjoy that? I did. It was great to be back in club rugby because it's sort of where it all begins. It was the dying stages. I hope I didn't kill it off. Um, but no, some fantastic games, except for that trialless grand final, unfortunately. But we, we, had, a, we had a result, so there you go. And it went on the main channel too, yes. It did. Timing, but it was great to see the helicopter land there pre-game. It was mm. just great stuff, and uh, it'll be back on Channel 7 again next year. But we're here to talk about Rugby World Cup. Gentlemen, Mark Cashman and uh, Sean Berry, have you seen a cup game as intense in a pool uh, stage as that Wales-England match? It was incredible. Well, Bronx certainly not, and I think it's uh, it's the game that England uh, England lost, didn't they? You know, uh, uh, on on a number of fronts. Uh, you know, one of them being uh, I, I I thought that uh, Wales uh, Warren Gatlin actually outcoached Stuart Lancaster uh, pretty much right throughout the game, and uh, I I think uh, there were mistakes there, and uh, I think England Bronx now are looking at the at the abyss as they call it, aren't they? Well, we called the show uh, two oh six England on the brink and uh, they are on the edge here Sean because uh, it's do or die now against Australia isn't it this weekend? Well it is and I think that result almost puts Australia on the brink. It's it's not (laughs) what we wanted to see. England needed to come into the game against us feeling overly confident. They're far from it. I don't know if if their psychic sense will be too damaged. They'll, They'll still be confident but they'll be desperate. They'll need to beat us and they'll be at Twickenham very hard to beat a confident England at Twickenham, but coming off the back of a loss, close to impossible, I'd say. Kesho, I know you say that uh, England lost the game, but come on, Wales, they came to play, racked with injury, and they come out and uh, the energy, the tempo, they really took it to England on their home turf. It's not easy to win there at Twickenham, is it? One of the things it did show to me, Brock, was that I think at this Rugby World Cup, as in uh, distinct from 2007, You've got to play a bit of footy to actually win this Rugby World Cup. And England went out into that game 
and they uh, they virtually refused to play too much rugby. And uh, Wales really had a crack, didn't they? They uh, they got their game together after half time. You know, there was a ten point break then, and then and then sort of started to attack those uh, those channels out wide, and it really really sort of came through. Yeah, I it, I, I think England tried to play. I, I I don't think they were negative in any way. In fact, look at the end of the game. I mean, England. And this is what I can't cop. People saying they praised Japan for going for the try against South Africa. England go for the try in the last minute and everyone's saying, why don't you go for the goal for the draw? I mean, you can't win, can you? Well, but uh, go on, Cash. I didn't mean to... But well, I did mean to interrupt. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, you know, that's, uh, that, that's also the thing. You know, probably the best result for the Wallabies uh, was probably a draw. So uh, mm. I'd, I'd imagine Michael Cherk and a few of the boys would have been there going, go for the goal, go for the goal. But uh, listen, you know, that's, uh, that's tournament play, isn't it? You know, there's uh, moments in tournaments that, uh, that decide which way you go. And uh, that's coming up. That, that was uh, Wales's go on the, on, on the weekend. And it's going to be the Wallabies' go at Twickenham also on the on this coming weekend. Cash Cow, but Checker would also have us believe he, he's not watching the other results. Uh, he doesn't care about <laughs> he's bonus points. someone else watching it for him. He's got Pat Mollahan watching it for him. <laughs> he he's does. a great That's manager right. who's sitting right next to him if you look at the shots, uh, former Seven colleague. Sean, what do you think? There were some big moments. For me, the big moment was in the 66th minute. England, great line-out win. They take it down the left-hand side, scintillating ball uh, in hand and passes and they just dropped it uh, 20 metres out, 22 metres out, um, turned the ball over, then Wales were able to hold out. Um, that, to me, if England had scored that try at that moment, it was going to be game over. Well, it, it, it was, and, and, and I've seen it written, I've heard it said that England did give the game away to Wales. It, it's, it's moments like that that count, and Wales claimed them. It was a, a less experienced British team than we're used to seeing. Uh, certainly some shuffling in the back line that, uh, you know, they, they probably weren't gelling like they should and, and they weren't able to react and Wales were able to get their foot back in the door. Well, if you're talking about reaction, one of the guys who's been criticised, um, basically shouldering a lot of blame, is Sam Burgess. I find that really hard to believe when uh, he left the field that England then lost the game. So you know he, they were doing well when he was on the on the field. Yeah, d definitely. I think uh, I think if Sam Burgess would have actually stayed on the field, uh, England would have won. They would have been more more robust in the middle of the field. Their defence would have been uh, a hell of a lot better, and uh, they wouldn't have given Wales those targets for Jamie mm. Roberts to run at in the middle of the field. So mm. I think that's where the game sort of changed as soon as Sam Burgess came off. You know, he he's got a certain robustness about him. He's not as probably. Uh, elusive or has the footwork of a Matt Gitto or, or even yeah. an Owen Farrell, but uh, he gets the job done and he, he knows about big games. What about the battle of the fly halves? Oh, look, I, I liked Farrell. Mm. Um, it wasn't a risk. They, they got rid of Ford. There, were, there was much said in the press about that and, and bringing Burgess mm. on as well. Um, certainly didn't backfire. The, the game wasn't lost at 5 mm. eighth. Um, Yeah, so I, I think it was a good decision and, and Farrell... He's a big, strong man, a strong defender, and, and he, he was quite lethal with the boot. I've seen him up close uh, playing for England and uh, while doing photography, and you know he runs the game okay. He's fine. I don't think it was a big risk with him um, at all. Uh, in fact, they were doing fine. I mean, for most of the game, they were in control um, and doing the right thing. Uh, Wales, though, just had something about it. And what do you think about uh, their effort at 10? Oh, listen, Dan Bigger had an absolutely superb game. Well, he kicked game. brilliantly, didn't he? Yeah, and, uh, you know, the, the, the sad thing is uh, with that Lee Halfpenny in, in that side, uh, you know, 
they could be so much more potent. But that's that's probably helped in the Welsh mentality. It's it's this have a go sort of mentality. Mm. You know, they're just out there. They're, uh, they're 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 trying their best. They're they're moving the ball around, and I think they I think they're playing themselves into form. That's what tournament play is all about. You don't necessarily have to be cracking hot in the first week of the tournament. It's been cracking hot in week six of the tournament. I think that's uh, that's pretty important. Yeah, absolutely. And from a Wallabies point of view, I I, I think building into the tournament is, uh, is 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 quite a vital thing. There's no loss in having that uh, biggest boot on the on the park either. No. The, the number of points scored through the tens, it's something for the Wallabies to, to watch any penalties and uh, will be punished. Uh, I thought he was outstanding. Um, and I think all the Welsh were brave under the high ball whenever it came to them. And uh, I think uh, the other thing is they, they showed no fear. They really came in there and gave it to England. Like I said, going to London and beat England in a World Cup, that's, that's huge. We just saw the reaction from the... Uh, from the royalty in the box, you know, one on one side and one on the other, and uh, the man in red was uh, victorious. But well, who was expecting that as well? Wales to come out given their injuries. Yeah, it's it's it's. I wouldn't say second string, but they're no. twelve or thirteen injuries, and they managed to beat England at Twickenham. No, no, that's true. And you know, and given maybe not recent form heading into the cup, but uh, certainly over the last year or so, um, you know, Wales has disappointed. Uh, so for them to do this at the right time is incredible. So they're a dangerous team. However, when they uh, come up against Fiji, um, Matt Carmichael from uh, Seven was saying to me, oh, I think they're a massive uh, risk of you know, running into a brick wall. It's Fiji and they're probably expected to beat them, but you know, they're a physical side, Fiji. And if you don't cash out, show them any respect, they can beat you. Well, they're physical. They're uh, they're good on their feet. Their defence is a hell of a lot better. Their scrum and their uh, their lineout works very well these days. And uh, you know they have a simple game plan: give it to Namani Nadolo, and uh, and away he goes. That 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 could cause a bit of havoc uh, down those edges there. Mm. Yeah, uh, one hundred and twenty-eight odd kilos of top bloke. It's, it's not it's not a bad game yeah. plan, really, is it? And and Fiji, they performed really well, but they've mm. come up against England and Australia. They've pushed both sides, they probably think they deserve a bit of a victory after their... Well, and a so short far. turnaround too between mm. England and Australia. I mean, once again, it's, uh, it's just totally unfair on Tier 2 nations. And they're still producing the goods. Actually, the funny thing is, I know there's a couple of bigger scores, but if you go back and have a look at them, they're just not those big blowouts that we used to see, mm. like the 140-odd or the 120-odd. I think we smashed Namibia in um, Adelaide. That was Chris Whitaker's uh, coach or captaining... Uh, Appearance for Australia, and that was a great honour at the Adelaide Oval. Mm. Um, but uh, in the All Blacks, uh, had some massive wins too in, in the past. So uh, I think they're getting closer. Each year, each World Cup, the uh, minnows uh, are doing a little bit better, I think. Mm, especially Fiji. They're, mm. they're, they're sort of really tightening that gap. Yeah, I, I just think uh, Ben made a good point last week. They sort of make that step, but then they don't make the strides to be a true threat, you know, that we go, okay, Fiji, they can make it through this pool, no worries. I don't think anyone was saying that Fiji would make it through the pool, this one in the pool of death, but they would still cause carnage. Hmm. There's no doubt about that, but yeah, they're not at that point where you think, okay, Fiji's gonna, gonna make it um, ahead of time. So there's work to do, but John McKee doing a great job with the Fiji team. Oh, he certainly is, Bron. Just, just harking back on, on, onto the selections that uh, the England has made, mm. do you guys feel as though that they uh, have an obsession with size 
rather than mo uh, mobility, mobility. And, and agility in, in the yeah. middle of the field, and that's uh, that's probably something that's um, that's making them not play with uh, with the endeavour that they they're going to need to to actually win this thing. So, do you think they played negatively the other day? I actually thought they went okay. Uh, they when they wanted to move the ball, they did, and, it, and a few times they didn't. So I don't. I didn't see England as negative. I really enjoyed what they were doing at times. Uh, some of the balls went into touch, went to ground. Maybe that's a skill thing. Um, Courtney Law's big, obviously uh, British player. So yeah, he fits that bill that you're talking about. So I don't know, Sean. Did they select negatively though? The, there was a bit, bit of panic. Right. Certainly, a yeah. very deliberate selection policy in the backs mm. that uh, reduced their expansive game that they've been working on. This creative, expansive game for the for the past year with Ford in there at 5'8", considered a, a more creative player. Mm. Um, you bring on the bigger guy to combat Wales' size and, and, and Wales still managed to run around you in the end. Yeah, I mean, go back to their first try, pretty creative, and they, and they thought um, well, on the run uh, with the space on the short side. So I, I think um, England were probably out enthused on the night. There's no doubt about that by Wales. And, and our coach too with the replacements that you talked about, Casho. Let's go. Panicked a bit too. Well, let's go back to the last couple of minutes. So there was plenty of time for England to at least draw the game, maybe take a penalty shot, then go for the try. What would you have done, both of you? First, I, know what, Sean. I know what England would almost do every <laughs> single time is take the penalty yeah, shot. They, but not this time. You can only assume the captain has been uh, watching that Japan game <laughs> where they hazard it all and they come away with the victory. Yeah. Maybe there was also a sense of this is the pool of death. Mm. We need to win, let's go for the try, let's go for bonus points, that sort of decision. But mm. look, I think they, in hindsight, obviously, they made the wrong decision. Joshua? Yeah, that's uh, pretty all right in hindsight. But uh, if, you, if, if you look at the plain facts of the matter, they, uh, they did have two or three minutes left. They could have had a shot at goal. What, mm. what happens, you generally kick your, uh, your penalty attempts uh, dead. So you're, uh, you're, you've got a 25, so you've got another crack at it. So... Uh, it, it was a tactical mistake, I, I thought, but uh, mm. coach is always going to back his captain no, no matter what. Oh, I mean, I, I, I love the fact that England went for the try, but yeah, look, take the penalty and get back down the other end and pot a field goal. So um, uh, that could happen quite quickly. However, it, Wales could do the same uh, when we saw what they could do with their kicking power. So that was an epic game at the weekend, wasn't it? It was just terrific. Um, other key results, um, obviously the game that Australia will play against England next weekend on the back of uh, a big win uh, over Uruguay. And Uruguay uh, had no chance against Australia, really. We filled our second sort of string side. What did you think of um, the Australian side with Quade Cooper at fly half? Um, I've been very critical of Quaid mm. for many years. Um, yeah, every time I, you I, walk in the office, <laughs> out of bed, and I'm Mark saying, Mark Ferguson, um, asking I've, about. I've changed my tune. I think he's uh, he's matured. I don't think the Uruguay game is enough. I think we've asked more questions than we've answered. Really, um, certainly, his kicking means mm. he's not in the starting fifteen. Um, which is real, real pity. Where are the Matt Burks, you know, the fullbacks kicking? Yes. Um, we can't select a 5'8 because he can't kick at the moment. But I think he's much calmer, much more mature, and he's able to show restraint. I think he was unfortunate to be sent off for 10. Uh, <laughs> Cash out? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I, I, I think he probably would have made his case a little bit better if he'd, uh, if he'd got uh, some more of those conversion attempts. It, uh, it was uh, classic Quaid at, at sort of different times, but I... I, I just feel for the first 
for the A side that Australia wants to play in the bigger games is they, they do need a, a, a man who's going to take the ball flat and he's going to take it to the line and just uh, engage the people at, um, at, at, at the game line and, uh, and sort of go from there. That's the whole basis of the way Checker likes to play the game. Mm. So, uh, you know, I can't see Quaid um, perhaps working off the bench if uh, some of the other guys aren't, uh, aren't available, but uh, very, very long odds to be in that, uh, that, that main match day 23, I think. Yeah, and I haven't changed my opinion about uh, 9, 10 and 12. I still think it should be Phipps, Foley and Matt Tamua playing 12. Gives you a bit more size as well. Um, that's, but a, that's interesting you say that, Bronk. Uh, Genia did very well at different times, but I, I just feel as though what uh, Phipps showed against Uruguay um, on, um, on Sunday mm. morning or Sunday afternoon in, in the UK was uh, a crisper service, and I think, uh, I, I think a guy like Foley will uh, thrive on that. Genia was tended to be a bit uh, a bit pumpy with his action a bit, but mm. uh, we'll see how he, uh, he's how taking he works into it. He takes that step as well, is, which yeah. George was doing, George Gregan was doing towards the end of his career. You can go back and look at the when their first, those scrum halves, when they first start, just ping it off the ground. Mm. And then as they get older, they just tend to take a step. Um, is it because they're looking what, to probe around the side more? Yeah, I think uh, they tend to stand back and look take a bit more time and they probably feel like they got more time but when you look at the, the how many seconds and they do analyze this how, how quick the ball comes off the deck can delay it by a fair bit and it's enough to um, rob you of the attacking opportunity I like any of that I'd, I, I, I prefer like him, him too, but I, I prefer him at the moment um, I think he offers much more in attack um, possibly I'm harking back to, yeah. to older days but I, I think he's recapturing a bit of form I think his, his passes are more on target and I think he's much more likely to score a try. So what about combinations then? I, I'm a big believer in combinations, and I think the, the New South Wales combination, you, you roll with that, otherwise you roll with the Queensland one. I think the way Australia's selected over the past few months, there, there are no combinations. No, that's, um, well, that's true. So the, the real combination <laughs> is the state-based one. Well, Go with that. Well, perhaps. Um, I don't know what I think they're the doing Uruguay in selections. decision was... I, I don't understand it. I think mm. the second New Zealand, um, the Auckland selection, oh, winning that. team, <laughs> we, we're mixing it up. Um, teams like to peak in the quarterfinals, and uh, I'm, I'm a bit worried that we may well peak in the quarterfinals from a, a seat back in Sydney because mm. we may not have made it. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, he's thrown everything at this uh, mixed up, keep them guessing sort of uh, tactic. So I know he wants to win and entertain, but you know, beating. Uruguay, well, that many points is is okay, um, but we'll find out what happens against England. Well, let's 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 be honest. That uh, the game against Uruguay was a was an audition for the bench, really, wasn't it? So, yeah. uh, and I think people that did impress, uh, obviously Sean McMahon, I can see Sean's mentioned, uh, written that name down there. He had a very very strong game. Yeah. Scored the first try and then uh, then continued to bash people from there. Well, it's just uh, a back row looking after another back well, row. Well, you, you, you have to, but th there's an irony in that. The irony in that, the best best player we have is, is one who, in that game is one who will not play in our first Test 15, certainly not in this World Cup, I don't think, short of a serious injury. Um, but he's he's good enough probably to, to play in any other nation at the moment. Pretty much so. Mm. He's, uh, he's big. What is he, 21? Uh, over 100 and yeah. something teens uh, kilos and uh, can yeah. carry the ball. Yeah, and it's pretty hard. Yeah, really good player. Yeah. So um, that's coming up, Australia and uh, England. Uh, Ireland, uh, Casho, really humming along nicely, aren't they? Humming along nicely. Uh, very much under the radar. Not much spoken about them. All mm. the emphasis has been on... Uh, 
on Wales and England at this particular World Cup. So, uh, yeah, listen, they're, uh, they're, they're obviously uh, sort of coming together and uh, bigger games for them uh, on the horizon. But, uh, yeah, they're going along very nicely, Brock. Yeah, so they haven't really been uh, tested too badly yet. But we're heading into the phase of the World Cup now, three games in, and it's starting to really bite, isn't it? So, um, you know, a 44-10 win over Romania. Um, Les Kiss, he wouldn't have been happy about those 10 points getting through. He'll be lashing the boys as we speak. No, he's really good. He's, uh, I was, his man management of players is the secret to his success. And it's no wonder he's been around a long time uh, in the island setup and has been the consistent um, person in that uh, coaching regime. It's Ireland and France in that pool. Is that, is that right? Uh, I think they're in a pool with, with France. So they're, they're the top two teams and their potential to, to play the All Blacks. Mm. Um, they've got good form against the All Blacks over current years and, and they're a very all-rounded team. Do you, think, do you think they could do New Zealand, so to speak, in the uh, quarters? Uh, well, I, I think Ireland can go all the way. I think France could go all the way. There's, there's, and South Africa. Don't forget they uh, got back on the winning horse uh, with a win over Samoa. Wasn't uh, too pretty in the first half, though, Casho. No, it certainly wasn't. But I, th- I, th- I think the longer that that game went, uh, the more it was South Africa. It, uh, you know, this tournament really hasn't panned out for, for the Springboks well. Jean de Villiers has uh, mm. copped, copped a broken jaw. What a tragedy. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things. Um, had a leg injury, I think, uh, in 2007 when, when they won in the Northern Hemisphere. And this one, that, that horrible, horrible knee injury that he uh, made his way back to actually captain this squad. And uh, now two broken jaws in, uh, in the space of probably six weeks. And uh, he's gone, he's cooked. And, uh, you know, they're... Um, they're uh, they're looking for a replacement. But in many ways, I just sort of feel that uh, they will be a better side without Jean there, despite his leadership qualities. I Why think, do you say that? I think because they're, uh, they're, they've probably got a better back line with the, mm. uh, with the Stormers inside centre, Damien Delonde. Well, as we men- you mentioned last week, there's a bit of uh, controversy about their side. They picked in the first place to go across to the UK. Yeah, and, that's um, right. You know, it's, uh, it's probably yeah, a good point that they make a change now. Forced. Much older side too. Mm. Some old old names in there that perhaps shouldn't be kicking around. And it is South Africa. They're either brilliant or bust. Mm. And I guess we saw that against Japan. Well, there's there's no real pressure in the, in their group to actually get out of it. You know, they can uh, they can wander their wander with, wander their way through that group and then uh, and then uh, and then turn things on for uh, you know what two or three games and you're in a final really, aren't mm. you? So. Uh, Interesting times ahead, but I, I just sort of feel as though that they're uh, they're a better side with Jean de Villiers uh, because they're going to get more thrust out of that middle of the field. You know, there's there's never any doubt about the um, the robustness of their forward play. Their set piece is always good, but uh, yeah, just uh, just feeding those guys on the edges needs to be done if if they're going to win a World Cup this time through. You're right about the lack of pressure too, but but I think that sometimes works against them when when you hit the hit the quarters, hit the semis. Um, I'm always harking back to previous World Cups. Yeah. And I remember 2003, Australia had a bit of a tough run. New Zealand cruised on through. Australia had a tough run and they were bat- battle-hardened. I know, mate. I was the media manager at the well, time. <laughs> very well managed. But um, I think this pool of death, if we get through, and at this stage it is very much a sense of if, yeah. um, will be primed for some big games in the quarters. Oh, look, it's a different game. When it becomes elimination rugby, the, the whole thing changes. 
Bonus points don't mean anything, and it's just winning the match that counts. And this is where the Six Nations countries, I think, have a little bit of an advantage because they play for the points, not bonus points in Six Nations. And Les Kiss has been on this show many times saying how much he loves it rather than playing for bonus points. It yeah. shows sometimes. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you do, do, you do, in the end, though, have to worry about for and against. So in a way, you've got that bonus point culture in there, but you still just have to win the match, and that's really important. It's weighted that way. So anyway, bonus points don't matter when they get to the quarterfinal stage, if they all get there. Now, I just noticed that some of the throws, um, I think particularly from Wales, weren't exactly straight on the night. Uh, I just hope that, uh, you know, if it's going to be that way, um, or refereed that way, uh, that they don't crack down all of a sudden and, and someone misses out because of a little bit of a tiny crooked throw. I don't know if you noticed that. I just noticed a few anyway. Yeah, there, there were a couple there, Bronk, but uh, I, I just feel as though the refereeing has settled down in, in, the, in the second week a lot. There was, uh, there, was, there was a lot of stuff. There were a lot of referees out there mm. uh, making their mark, you know, you know, timing their run to uh, to referee a quarterfinal or a knockout game in the, in this rugby world cup, but they're uh, ticking they boxes. Yeah, ticking boxes, and they, they seem to have settled down. So hopefully, uh, hopefully those uh, line out throws are straight, and there's nothing too controversial, which there hasn't been in in the second rush of games and, until uh, Australia v England in the scrums. I, th I I think the refereeing will very much in these next two games determine how we go. Our, our scrum how that scrum is refereed and how the Brits are ref refereed, if, if they're straight, if they're not straight, I'd, I think is going to play a big role because our scrum is better, but um, a couple of penalties against us and yeah. we could well be right back where we started. Who are you calling the Brits, mate? Sorry, the English. Oh, jeez, mate. You know. <laughs> My father's English. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. So, um, yeah, I think the refereeing, uh, it, it has varied a bit, but the other annoying thing is, is, is going to the TMO to check uh, just for little tiny things and that can really drag the game down. They have to be careful of that, don't they? Oh yeah, yeah, they definitely do. You you, you want a bit of continuity, and, and, and you know you don't want to turn it into a game of, of uh, national football like gridiron, do you? So mm -hmm. uh, you know they've they've got to have um, they've got to have guts to make the decisions and uh, and sort of stick by them. Just looking at the pools, um, Sean, and uh, <laughs> after the start, the hectic start of Japan beating South Africa in Pool B. The great news is, one of my favourite countries that punches above its weight, Scotland, is on top of that pool, and uh, they've got maximum points so far, 10 points. You better take a photo of that. <laughs> I'm not sure how much longer it will last once uh, ten, South Africa 10 points in. in South Africa, three. Uh, so three behind them on seven. Um, and the USA, uh, the USA gave it to uh, Scotland for a while, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, Bronk, they, uh, they, they certainly did. And, you know, in in many ways, you know, Scotland have, uh, uh, obviously as not as good a side as Ireland, but they have been able to mm. to sort of go under the radar there, and I think that's probably helped them. You know, they're yep. uh, they're, they're quite well coached now. Scotty Johnson has had an involvement there, and he's obviously set up a, a pretty good structure there. Vern Cotter is mm. uh, is in charge there now, and uh, they're obviously playing a very positive style of rugby, and uh, you know, a rugby that's winning World Cups. And USA, I think we're ahead at half time, and uh, Scotland managed to come back there. Although I think their playmaker Finn Russell limped off, um, so that perhaps will influence the yeah. uh, rest of their campaign. Yeah. Anyway, enjoy it, Scotland, while you can. Let's hope you can get through. I really do hope uh, Scotland mm. gets through to the next 
round. There's a good chance of that happening, um, unless uh, Samoa pulls off a minor miracle. All right, we've got uh, two minutes left. Mark Cashman, it's NRC National Rugby Championship time. Your Rays played at uh, Pittwater Rugby Park. What happened on the weekend? Well, Bronk scored. I saw fourteen tries, one hundred points, four yellow cards, two red cards. So uh, quiet afternoon then. Quite afternoon. Plenty of fun. As I mentioned, it was uh, Juniors Day. Lots of kiddies down there. So yeah. uh, a great day at Rat Park. Probably uh, over two thousand people there, which is uh, which was sort of good to see. But it just sort of showed uh, the difference between the Rays being a uh, you know an essentially um, amateur mm. footy side up against. Uh, uh, professionally prepared Super Rugby side, which the Vikings Ooh. were. You so are the spin doctor for the team, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> Jeez, but uh, no, listen, uh, listen. Good luck to the boys from Canberra. They hopped on the bus after uh, after going to the after match. So uh, we still have our traditions down there. Yeah, at, that's at, nice. At Ray Park. And I hear, I hear it was a, one of our snouts on Twitter told us that the drug testers were there. Did you get tested? I, I didn't, but uh, some bloke was following me around with a clipboard for most of the <laughs> afternoon, so uh, I don't know what he was after. Yeah, apparently you're being te- if you did get tested and you tested positive to uh, a great dose of uh, Chardonnay. Well, it would have been Cap Merlot if, if it was <laughs> rock, so uh, yeah, listen, I was... Which, I, I, which I, for you is personality enhancing. That's right. <laughs> and uh, listen, I was, I was up in the box, John Getty's box, the oh, Mary yeah. Daly uh, sports editor, oh, so... Right. Uh, Hit a couple of beer wenches up there, so uh, we, we had a great time. <laughs> All right, mate, I've got to wind you up. Casho, thanks for coming <laughs> in, mate. Great to see you. Go the race, eh? Absolutely. And uh, Sean Berry, mate, thanks for coming in. Pleasure. Great to see you. I'll see you later tomorrow. Uh, yeah, I will, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about uh, some more rugby on Facebook, hey? That went down like a treat. Thanks, Sean. Good to see you. Pleasure. There he is, Sean Berry. And, of course, next year you can see him back on the coverage of Shoot Shield Rugby on Channel 7. And until next week, enjoy your rugby, enjoy the World Cup. And we'll be back with more action in a week's time. You've been watching Rugger Matrix International, episode 206, England on the Brink, with Jurosen, Mark Cashman and Sean Berry.